And there's really no one-fits-all solution for success, but we can start moving towards more inclusive practices to help future students. As the field sets out intentionally to send more students from historically minoritized or underrepresented backgrounds abroad, then we have to be equally intentional about understanding the risk that these students may encounter in adapting our orientation and advising materials to take this into consideration. Hello, everyone. It's the dawn of 2024 and Happy New Year, dear listeners. I hope everyone had a fabulous holiday season and was able to find some time to disconnect from the day-to-day pressures and demands of our work in education abroad and spend time with friends and loved ones. I, for one, love this time of year. The smell of possibility and new beginnings are in the air as we have all of 2024 in front of us. Speaking of new beginnings and excitement, I am thrilled to be here today as we launch season three of our podcast here at World Strides, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. As our listeners will know, Changing Lives is a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McInnes, and I work on the campus partnerships teams here at World Strides Higher Education. We have big plans for this season, and I can't wait to share some sparkling conversations with diverse voices, rising stars, and some true luminaries in our field over the coming months. Today, though, I'm excited to kick things off with a very special episode. I'm excited to pick the brain of someone who I've admired for over 10 years. And that's the one and only Robin Relliford, World Stride's very own and very fierce head of health and safety. Robin oversees the health, safety, and well-being of the nearly 500,000 participants who enroll on World Stride's programs each and every year, from K-12 through to higher ed and beyond. Wow, she's a busy woman. And like I said, folks, we're talking to a true legend today. I've learned so much from Robin over the years even if it's just how to always stay calm, cool, and collected at work, which admittedly is still a work in progress for me. As our listeners will know, though, the health, safety, and well-being of our participants in education abroad has been front of mind for the past several years, for so many different reasons, hasn't it? Today, we'll pick Robin's brain about hot topics in health and safety, her prediction for the future, and yes, what keeps her up at night. Stay tuned, dear listeners. Do not want to miss this episode. Robin Marie Relliford, thank you for being here. Forgive me for being a little starstruck right now, but I am thrilled to welcome you to the show. Zach McKinnis, you flatter me. However, <laughs> you're blushing. Um, I have to say I am a super fan of Zach McKinnis, and I am so thrilled to be kicking off the new year with you. Likewise, the feeling is very mutual, my friend. To begin, I'd love for you to give us an overview of your academic and professional background and how you came to be a leader in the health and safety space of education abroad. Zach, I did my undergraduate studies at Westchester University in Pennsylvania, where I majored in political science with a concentration on international relations and a minor in French. I did my study abroad in the south of France during my junior year at Westchester, the spring semester really with the help of a really phenomenal advisor. And like many of our students today, it was the first time they needed a passport. I grew up taking family vacations to Montreal, but I did need a passport to drive across the border. 
So everything was really new and exciting for me. When I completed my undergraduate studies, I went on to go to law school, which was always my dream. And I practiced at a major law firm in my hometown of Philadelphia for four years. Despite all of the hard work <laughs> and really, truly all of the, the blessings that came with being able to practice law and do exactly what I had dreamed of, I still wanted something more. I really wanted a more international life and I wanted a global career. So I took a leap of faith, <laughs> packed up my apartment and took myself on a bit of a sabbatical and returned to France. I spent my days taking language courses and wandering around the streets of Paris while trying to figure out what I really wanted to be when I grew up. And I remember one day my older brother sent me a job description for a position in international education. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, and so I started doing more, reading articles from the Chronicle of Higher Education, looking at postings within NASA. I really trying to see if my skills in education could meld with my interest and lead to a fulfilling career. And then I started applying for jobs. And let me tell you, it was not easy. I realized I didn't know how to look for a job. I, don't, I didn't know anyone in the, in the field, and I really didn't know how to, to network. And apparently, university study abroad offices weren't uh, vying for a, a JD. It felt like the stars aligned, and I applied for a position in the U.S. space of an Italian art and design school. Um, by chance, the interviews were happening in Philadelphia, and I remember being interviewed on a Friday, was offered the job, and that very Sunday, I was on a flight to my very first NASA conference. <laughs> While working with the Italian art and design school, I was offered a position at a frightful American art and design school. And this would take me back to France to work, which I was really excited about. And really during those early positions, I would represent the schools that I was working for at various conferences like Forum and NASA. And I would find myself drawn to sessions on risk management. You know, this was around the time of the Fukushima nuclear disaster and then the Arab Spring. And universities were really starting to wake up and realize that they needed to be better prepared to support their students when they were abroad when things, you know, didn't go terribly wrong, that they, you know, had a duty of care to these students who were off campus at that time. By nature of my job, I was starting to meet people and discuss my future goals. There was a very niche profession developing within the field for full-time health and safety officers within higher education who were all focused on outbound students. And then again, the stars aligned for me once more. As my contact ended in France, I applied for the newly developed coordinator for health, safety, and security role with ISA. So once again, I packed up my life and this time moved to Austin, Texas, and I found my home with ISA and then World Strides. And it's really been a wild ride and one that I've been able to develop and grow. And so I now oversee health and safety for, for all of World Strides. And I think I was really fortunate because I was able to see the field from so many different angles as a rep, as a website team member abroad, and then really working closely with everyone at ISA. I don't know if I would recommend my path <laughs> to everyone, but it was definitely uniquely mine. And all of the experiences and people I met along the way seem to always be presented in my life at just the, the right moment for me to be here today speaking with you. And so very grateful. Wow. Thank you for, for sharing that, Robin. And to to all of the past, current, and future road warriors who are listening to this episode today, 
Yes, indeed. Robin Relaford was one of us. You know, I remember, Robin, when you first came to ISA over a decade ago, at the time, you know, the show Scandal was really popular on television, right? And I remember we, we would call you the Olivia Pope of Study Abroad. Because with Robin Relaford, it's always handled. I love it. <laughs> now, in your current role at World Strides, you oversee health and safety for our travelers across multiple divisions. Could you give us an overview of your responsibilities in our organization and a sense of the scale of young learners we endeavor to support as they embark on their life-changing experiences? In the most simplest of terms, I would say our health and safety department has four main focuses. That's assessing risk emergency communications, policy development, and incident management. And uh, my current position, my main responsibilities really are to provide oversight of worldwide risk management, health, safety, and crisis management for all of Brussels travelers. You know, I'm in charge of leading the health and safety team to ensure consistent best practices are implemented across all divisions while these are while easing uh, with World Strides executive leadership. I lead during any major crisis or world event that has an impact on World Strides groups or individual traveler safety and implement the appropriate crisis response plan, coordination, of course, with our teams across the organization. And then I lead the overall World Strides health and safety mission and strategy. My current position is really an evolution of my initial position with, with ISA. When I was hired by ISA, my focus was to bring consistency to how ISA responded to incidents or emergencies. So largely, of course, there are always different factors and different country roles and, and cultures at play. But the goal was the way ISA responded to a major incident in a program location across Europe should be similar to how we would respond to the same incident if it were to happen in South Africa or Latin America or Asia. And now I do that at a larger scale, looking to bring consistency to how events and incidents alone and how the safety policies are implemented across the wide array of World Strides programs from K-12 all the way through our adult warriors. So for breath, when it comes to our K-12 market, you know, we support domestic programs, you know, think eighth grade trips to, to Washington, D.C., international programs, uh, short-term high school programs all the way, you know, around the world. And of course, we have performing and sports divisions and our fantastic K-12 individual programs. With K-12 and university programs combined, World Strides supports well over 400,000 students on educational programs each year. And hopefully that is only growing. We also have a footprint in about 94 countries right now in SAC. We were a little over 100 a few years ago. So we're really looking forward to getting back up over that 100 mark. Wide reaching. 400,000 participants. So you, see, you over, it's like you oversee the health and safety of a, of a, of a medium-sized city. And I would love for you to, to pull back the curtain for us a bit. What is special about health and safety at World Strides? Of course, we have a really, really great team that I'm very proud of. We have five full-time health and safety team members who are all exclusively focused on health, safety, and risk management. And this is all with the oversight and support of my boss, Terry Wardmione. But what is great about health and safety at World Strides is that we work with and are supported by the entire organization from our CEO down and back up again. And we have a breadth of resources to, to pull on. 
we have our World Assist team. This is our 24-7 command center that helps support incidents for our group AK-12 programs. I mean, you heard the number of travelers, right? So without World Assist, we would be lost. We have our medical director, Dr. Neil Sika, um, through our partnership with George Washington Department of Emergency Medicine and his team. And they let us call them at all hours of the day and night. Um, and they help us with individual student illnesses, but also with policy development and advising. We have our product delivery teams who help troubleshoot problems in real time and air team that can assist with last minute flight emergencies. And we're powered by a legal team who gets it right, who understands what we do. And then, of course, within higher education, we have our ISA and teen resident teams who always go above and beyond to meet students' needs while they're, you know, of course, with the programs. So our teams are an extension of health and safety and, for me, our best asset. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. I always think of you as having such a, a unique background, Robin, with your JD and your background in law. How has this background impacted your overall career trajectory and how does it affect your approach to your daily practice? So, you know, Zach, as you know, I consider myself a fully recovered attorney. I no longer practice law and I've been so grateful for the talented legal team at World Strides, who I get to work with and refer people's questions to every day. I apply the skills I acquired during my studies in the years when I did practice to my current job. And, you know, Zach, I think mostly, though, I had a boss in the midterm during my legal career who really led by example and showed me that even in a high-paced environment, even in a stressful position, one that can be contentious, kindness can still reign supreme. You can be firm, but kind, and people will still respect you. Those two things, kindness and respect, they you know they don't have to be antithetical, right? When you're leading a team through a crisis, you want them to follow you, and you want to be someone um, people want to follow, who people want to succeed with. I think that was perhaps my most important lesson, and it's definitely how I hope to lead and how I hope to, to be perceived. Mental health has been front of mind education abroad for a while now, and for good reason. Can you provide some insights into any subtle shifts you are seeing most recently in terms of needs and issues we can expect to see on the horizon? I'm always happy to talk about mental health because I think it's such an important topic. Of course, let me say first that I am by no means a mental health expert. I can really only speak from the lens of the mental health incidents that have occurred in our programs and required a response. And of course, you know, how we prepare our students to manage their mental health while abroad and how we prepare our staff to support them. I think it's really no surprise to your listeners that more students now are attending universities with diagnosed mental health conditions and more are seeking mental health support on campus. I mean, there have been numerous articles written about the demand on college counseling centers and how many campuses are really struggling to match that demand. I like to look at this optimistically. I think more students are comfortable talking about their mental health, so there is less stigma attached to it, at least here domestically in the U.S. And more students who previously might not have had access to higher education because of their diagnosis now do with a raised level of support. You know, when we, when we shift to the abroad context, across all of our higher ed programs, we still encourage medical self-disclosures really giving students space to share their medical needs, whether they be related to their physical or mental health, so that we can help advise and prepare them for a successful experience. 
And more and more, we see students who disclose anxiety disorders, depression, eating disorders, PTSD, bipolar diagnosis, among you know other conditions. And I have to say that the majority of students successfully manage these conditions while abroad. But it really all starts with the preparation. And then, of course, you have the students who do not disclose. And this could be for a variety of factors. But I don't want to discount the fact that given the age of traditional college study abroad students, for some, they're not disclosing simply because they do not know. You know, they will have their first episode or even crisis once they get abroad because they are at that reset age and they are about to be challenged in ways they may not have ever been challenged. And so as for the challenges once abroad, there are a variety of factors that can exacerbate otherwise well-managed mental health conditions or precipitate a first mental health episode. Again, nothing new, but in terms of the roller coaster of emotions as students adjust to new culture, new language, new time zone, et cetera, you know, all that with, you know, a little jet lag sprinkled in. And then add on to that, just the 24-7 access to social media in the news cycle. We know that for all of the positives, social media also has had negative impacts on mental health, especially as students compare themselves to others or compare their real life experience to the highlight reels of others. Students are dealing with FOMO from what's happening at home, you know, or even the anxiety, grief, or trauma from the events happening back home or elsewhere in the world. I also just want to raise up that, you know, a study abroad continues to become accessible to more students. Identity-based factors can also impact a student's mental health while they are abroad. And, you know, this also needs to be a consideration for students these days. And then just coping with a mental health episode, you know, certainly a mental health crisis abroad can be very challenging, and not just for the student, but for the staff who support them, because of the differences in laws and customs, you know, among so many other factors. Access to and the quality of mental health care is not created equally around the world. And while I'm encouraged by reports of destigmatizing mental health globally, the truth is many countries and cultures still struggle with that stigma. So what do we do? How do we mitigate against mental health incidents preventing students from successfully completing their programs? Everyone needs a plan to manage their mental health while they are abroad. Not just the students with diagnosed conditions, but everyone. And it's really incumbent on all of us who advise to really stress that to our students and empower them to take responsibility for how they will manage their well-being while away. Students really should think about what coping mechanisms they use at home that they can commit to implementing while they are abroad. Um, students should also take advantage of any self-disclosure form or advising sessions to have an honest conversation about their needs and not feel like they will be turned away. You know, of course, they may be redirected to a different program or semester or format more to their needs, but the goal is still for them to be able to study abroad as long as they are healthy enough to do so. In addition to their program advisors, if they already have a mental health professional, they need to talk with them about how they will manage their conditions while abroad and understand what support that professional may or may not be able to provide them. And then on our end, you know, as world strides, some of the steps that we've taken are first and foremost, making sure our students have adequate coverage for mental health care while they are abroad and that students will not be denied coverage if they have a pre-existing condition. 
across all of our study abroad sites, you know, we've identified English-speaking mental health professionals who we can refer students to, whether they be private practitioners or counseling centers on the most campus. Students also have access to, in the moment, telephonic mental health care that can be accessed anywhere in the world free of charge to the student. And we train our resident staff on how to identify warning signs and connect students to appropriate resources abroad. So really, a lot goes into preparing students to stay mentally well in their programs. And you know, Zach, you're right. It has been front of mind for a while now. And I do not think we're going to stop talking about mental health anytime soon. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Robin. In a prior conversation we've had, you mentioned your very broad and deep network. And I always love how you how you say that there's no competition in the space of keeping our students safe. Rather, it's a community working together in a challenging, ever-changing environment. I really love this idea, and it would be great if you could tell us some more about that. Ever since the start of the pandemic, and I apologize because I was trying to make it through our conversation without mentioning that P word, but I've met regularly with my counterparts at other major provider organizations, all of whom are a part of Pulse, to discuss issues impacting our field and how we can further develop and set best practices as providers. Of course, it all started with us putting our heads together to decide what the gold standard should be to return to travel. I think we all realized that if one of us got it really wrong, it could be detrimental to us all. And that is really the mentality, Zach. You know, when it comes to health and safety, we all have a shared interest in seeing students have successful experiences. We know that we provide excellent services, um, which are often carried out by our abroad teams, and that we work hard to implement mitigation practices. And we really wanted to shine a light on that. And of course, you know, we're sounding boards for each other. We value each other's experiences. We can commiserate together. We can benchmark off of each other. Yeah, of course, each organization is going to do things somewhat differently, but we can find commonalities on what our best practices. I think an example of what we have been able to accomplish together, last year, some of us worked as part of a student risk task force with the Forum of Education Abroad to produce a pilot data report with significant incidents impacting education abroad students. In order to do that, we first had to establish a common framework to use to identify how to collect and compile data about significant incidents, and that was no easy task. But this was part of the initiative to help further transparency within the field and help enable students and stakeholders to make informed decisions and build on risk mitigation wherever possible. The forum published the pilot report from this project last fall, and the report is you know, available to the public and can be found on the forum's website. This is an ongoing project for the farm, and I'm excited to continue to contribute to the next cycle later this year. Let's pretend we have a crystal ball, Robin. What evolutions do you believe we will see or begin to see in the field of health and safety in the next, say, five years? Zach, a passionate topic for me is shining a light on an increasing education and awareness about neurodiversity and supporting neurodiverse students who want to travel abroad. Again, I'm speaking through the lens of incidents that I've seen on the program and a desire to mitigate the impact of similar incidents occurring and continue to make studying abroad accessible. It's estimated that roughly 20% of the global population identifies as neurodiverse. In uh, 2020, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimated that 1 in 36 children 
are diagnosed specifically with autism spectrum disorder. Many college students with ASD who participate in international programs do so successfully. Still, what we have seen on programs is some who face challenges with academic accommodations, cultural acceptance and adjustment, and group integration, among other things. And, you know, when this happens, even students who generally excel in their home campus may encounter academic setbacks or withdraw early from their abroad program. And, of course, more serious cases can involve loss of housing, program dismissal, or even, you know, mental health crisis. I really anticipate that we will see more students who identify as neurodiverse pursue education and board opportunities, just like we are seeing more pursue undergraduate degrees. And there's really no one-fits-all solution for success, but we can start moving towards more inclusive practices to help future students. I think increasing awareness and creating space for more information sharing is definitely the first step. Greater pre-departure collaboration between the student, their whole institution, their program provider, the faculty leader, in, and even the host institution abroad will lead to a better understanding of each individual student's needs. It also will help manage expectations of available on-site support. So really creating a space where whatever students can see and receive advice up front will help students identify the best abroad experience to meet their goals. Additionally, training is needed for program staff and faculty leaders to better help these specific students overcome challenges that arise on programs and connect them with the appropriate resources. So as we continue to increase the RC and study abroad, I hope we will include these students in the dialogue. What are some of the less obvious threats to our ability to safeguard the well-being of our participants abroad? So I'm not sure if it's less obvious, but something that is picking up traction among colleagues in the field and where my attention certainly has shifted these last few years is that that posed by climate change. If you recall, late in 2019 and early 2020, before turning all of our attention um, to the pandemic, we were dealing with unprecedented wildfires in Australia and how that was impacting our programs. And then this past summer, we were dealing with record heat everywhere. Look at Greece. It's another great example where recent wildfires pose threats to programs, but also record heat caused historical sites to close during the day, or they had to limit the number of tourists to protect against heat-related illicits. And Zach, you know, you know how students feel when they arrive in Europe during the summer and it starts to set in that air condition really isn't a thing, right? And that was the event before this last summer, right? So, you know, we are looking at our emergency preparedness with this in mind and thinking about how we can continue to respond to severe weather-related incidents. It is part of our risk assessment. You know, we're thinking about when and where we can run short-term programs. We talked about it a lot during COVID, but as part of our commitment to CSR, we consider the impact that we have on the areas and local communities we visit and how climate change factors into that has to be part of that discussion. And, um, I think the other part of the discussion is how do we keep young people who are more likely to think of their impact on the environment engaged in wanting to travel? And how do we encourage and incorporate more education on the topic and more sustainable practices into our programs? So a new focus, a new issue that keeps me up at night sometimes is since I do not have the answers, thankfully others in the field are raising this up as well. Julie Friend is someone who comes to mind as having contributed 
to articles and conference sessions on the topic. And you know, I'm really looking forward to continued discussions on this within the field. One of the leading organizations for uniting professionals in the international health and safety space is, of course, Pulse. Could you tell us more about this collaborative platform, how you utilize it, and how it can be used to benefit all practitioners? Pulse International is an association and network for health, safety, and security professionals in higher education. I mentioned earlier that when I was entering the field, health, safety, and security was really this niche profession that was developing within our field. And soon after I started with ISA, I was invited to join Pulse. And if I'm not mistaken, the, um, there were less than 50 members of this group at the time. And as the profession has grown, so to this Pulse, the organization now has close to 200 professional members across various universities, colleges, and providers. People who do extraordinary work every day to help keep student travelers and faculty as safe as possible and to help better the field. It's been such a critical part of my personal professional development to learn from others who are doing the same work, to benchmark, to collaborate, to commiserate. And, you know, just as I mentioned about the group of other providers I meet with, all of whom are within Pulse, the spirit of the larger organization is the same, not to compete, but to come together really for the greater of, of the field. And Pulse members, you know, make themselves available to to others who don't have a Pulse member on their campus or don't even have, you know, someone dedicated to, to health and safety on their campus. I know that they're always willing to engage people in conversation to help people look at data, look at information to maybe persuade their, their administration to create a position, create a Pulse position or hire someone. And definitely there to just talk through what we're seeing and then, you know, how we can continue to promote student safety. Now I want to shift gears just slightly. We know that there is a crucial intersection between DEI and health and safety. In fact, you presented on this topic with friend of the pod, Dr. Malaika Marable Serrano. To name just a few possibilities, we know that our students can be faced with biases, colorism, and complexities around various identities, along with so much more. Robin, could you unpack some of this for us? Thank you for raising that, my dear friend, Malika, who I am always just in complete awe of. While she was at World Strides, we had several opportunities to collaborate on the intersection of our two spaces within the field, um, health and safety and DEI. Our field, thankfully and rightfully, has placed a focus on diversifying the study abroad population and wanting the demographics of those who study abroad to mirror the demographics of the home campus. What Malika and I often discussed was as the field sets out intentionally to send more students from historically minoritized or underrepresented backgrounds abroad, then we have to be equally intentional about understanding the risk that these students may encounter in adapting our orientation and advising materials to take this into consideration. If we do not do that, Zach, then we're not setting these students up for the same success as their counterparts. And I think more importantly, we have to do it in a way that sets students up to have their own experience because not everyone with a shared identity will have a shared experience. So, you know, it really is a fine balance. You mentioned biases. I identify as a, as a Black female, Black American female, among other things. I've traveled pretty extensively solo, and I would say probably 95, between 95, 97% of my travels have been very smooth. 
but I've also had negative experience where my identity played a direct role. For example, I have had border agents like just rip through my neatly patched carry on, you know, without speaking a word to me, searching for God knows what, only to look around while they were doing this and discover that no one else in the airport looked like me. Right. And then the why me became quite obvious in that moment. And that maybe it should have been obvious to me before. And, and maybe my card was down, Zach, but as a student traveler, I didn't have anyone who could help prepare me for that experience or their vulnerability and even humiliation I felt in that, in that moment. Representation matters. And I know this has been a theme in several of your discussions um, in previous seasons of this podcast. But having more diverse study abroad professionals advising students helps. As students like to hear from other students who identify similarly to them about their experiences to help them prepare. And, you know, I'm really proud of the work that our higher ed um, DI committee and accessibility team are doing, you know, along with the help of our new head of DI, Yolanda Golden, to create resources and help advise students from different backgrounds about where they're going and how they can try to stay safe. What are some resources that you would like to lift up for our listeners today? This podcast has moved to the top of my list of resources. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, your lineup of guests and the variety of topics within the field that you cover make it a fantastic resource for newcomers, mid-level professionals, and old-timers alike. So, Zarelli Zach, thank you for this contribution to the field. I'm truly honored to be your colleague and a guest of your podcast. For health and safety and risk management resources, you know, I've already cited quite a few, um, you know, with polls with the OSAC Academia Sector Committee. And while membership of polls does have strict guidelines, OSAC's Academia Sector is, is definitely more accessible and is a free resource, you know, and the, and the ASC typically hosts two seminars each year that are also free to attend. And OSAC puts out some great resources for its members. The forum, you know, I talked about the forum earlier too. They also host an annual health and safety institute each year. And I found those sessions to be very thought-provoking and helpful, particularly when I was first starting out because it was focused on health and safety topics. And I, and, you know, now I really like to go and just reconnect with colleagues. You've heard it here first, folks. Robin Relaford says to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for your kind words, Robin. You're, you're making me blush over here. I mean, though. Thank you. With that, I just have one more question for you, my friend, as we begin to wrap up our conversation today. As you contemplate education abroad in 2024, what makes you hopeful? I'm hopeful to usher more students through the individual growth that travel provides. You know, as cliche as it sounds, I do believe experiencing another culture, immersing in it, learning from it, is the way to heal this world so people can learn that we're all more alike than we are different. Even with all of the crazy things that happen in this world, at my core, I believe people are more good than bad. And we learn that by the connections we make when we open ourselves up through travel. So that's what keeps me helpful. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end things than right there. Robin Marie Relaford, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McInnes, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World's Rights colleagues, Lindsay Kelchner and Sarah Kachuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives to Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together in 2024.